Hi there, welcome along to a brand new episode of the High Performance Podcast. I hope you're having a great week. I hope this conversation adds to the great week. If you're having a tough time, I hope this conversation lifts you up at a time when you need it the most. Our Euro 2020 specials in partnership with Whoop are all about letting you hear footballers talk in a way you just don't hear often enough. I'm so proud of these interviews and I'm so proud that these people chose to join us to really open up and speak completely honestly. And honesty is exactly what you're going to hear from today's guest, Hector Bellerin. I suffer like a lack of motivation. And I didn't know why it was, you know? And I was speaking to the psychologist at the club and stuff, and he was like, what's changed, what's changing? I had just bought a house in Barcelona and then my family were living there and I was like, whoa. So everything that I've been working for all these years, now I've been able to do it. Now I feel like, what am I playing for? Yeah. You know, because my family are already out. So then I had to refocus. And then at that time, this is a few years ago, my refocus was like, I had just won, I think, uh, right back of the year uh, in the in the Premier League, the FA, the FA team of the year. Yeah. So I was like, now I want to be in the Champions League team of the year or whatever, right? I want to be the best right back in the world. And I felt like, yeah, cool, that motivated me, but that wasn't focus enough. That, that was just too vague and was too... I don't know, I feel like I couldn't put, uh, couldn't touch it, if that makes sense, yeah, yeah. you know? Whereas now it's like, I want to be better than what I was yesterday. And I know how I was yesterday, so I know how I can be today. So this is real. And I feel like if I focus on that every day, I'm going to get closer and closer to where I can be. It's a brilliant episode. Um, I suggest you grab a pen and paper. There are so many takeaways from this one. But before we get going, as I'm sure you know, um, these episodes around Euro 2020 are sponsored by Whoop. And Whoop is wearable tech that gives you more information about your body's readiness to perform and what your body needs than anything I've ever seen before. If you want to get to high performance, trust me, Whoop will help you get closer physically to high performance than than anything I know. And let me just explain one key element of it before we go any further. And I do want you to understand that we will not just come on here and talk about any old product, okay? I will only sit here and talk to you about things I believe in, um, things I use myself, things that I believe can get you closer to a high performance life. So let me explain very, very briefly how Whoop can do that by focusing on the recovery element. So it's broken down into three specific areas, strain, sleep, and recovery. So sleep, as I'm sure you understand, is vital. Strain is how much effort you've put into your body that day. Recovery, though, is really important because unless you get the recovery right, you can't get the strain right. You don't know how hard to work. So the way that recovery works is it focuses on something called HRV, heart rate variability, which indicates your autonomic nervous system being in balance or not. So it's, I mean, effectively, it's a kind of time interval between your heartbeats, and it is the single best measure of your body's readiness to perform. And it takes into account loads of different factors. So my HRV right now, if I look at, let me just get the app up on my phone, my HRV is 58 MS, which is 19.7% higher than it's been recently, than my recent average, which means that I'm primed to take on strain. So Whoop is telling me that I'm ready to work out, and then it gives me the optimum amount of strain to take on. So I can now go down to the gym and make sure that I work in the gym until I hit the optimum load. And and it's calculated my HRV, it's calculated my recovery based on a variety of factors, including hydration, whether I've fueled myself right, whether I've got enough sleep, whether I've controlled my stress levels enough. And I don't know any other wearable tech that gives you that level of information. 
that also tells you what you have done, but crucially tells you what you need to do as well. And the good news is that we're giving you a unique offer, courtesy of Whoop. All you need to do is go to join.whoop.com forward slash HPP and you will get your first month for free. Um, So once again, if you want to learn a bit more about your life, um, go to join.whoop.com forward slash HPP. HPP. There you can subscribe to Whoop. You will not only get your first month free, but anytime in that first month, if it's not for you, you can uh, cancel it. You can send it back. You won't be charged. But honestly, I can't tell you enough um, how much it's helping me at the moment as I continue my own personal journey towards high performance. Talking of which, let's get straight on with it and hear from a remarkable young man. It's time for today's high performance podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today, we're joined by a modern Arsenal great. Over 300 appearances for the Gunners, a three-time FA Cup winner who graduated from the famed La Masaya Academy in Barcelona. However, this isn't a conversation about football. This is a conversation about being an individual in a world of intense scrutiny. It's a conversation about dealing with injuries in a world of the supremely fit. It's a conversation about the importance of keeping family at the heart of everything you do. So it's an absolute pleasure to welcome to High Performance the Arsenal player, Hector Bellerin. Welcome along. Thank you, welcome. So, what is high performance? High performance, um, to me, I would say, is about being effective and effective in reaching a level or reaching a state in which you can perform at your best level. And to me, this is like a a never-ending thing that you basically start looking at habits and things that you can change to become better every day and that put you in the best place to to perform at the at the highest level when it comes to game day so that can be from like your diet from like your sleeps your training and everything and i think all around um, throughout my career i've i've changed loads of things uh, i'm someone that i'm always i always want to be better if there's like um, even a, a three 
percent you know that I can improve in in anything I try to do it so my diet has changed along the along the years the way I sleep the you know everything about it even my training and how how I get ready for training or how I get ready for games so I think the wanting to reach the best of yourself to perform at your best level is is high performance but what's really interesting about that is that we live in a world where everyone follows everybody else and so to do the things that you've done actually involves you being brave enough to take a different path. When did you first realise the power of swimming against the tide? Well, it was always difficult being like a young player and having uh, different views about what was going on and knowing that you weren't really established yet and you couldn't really, I didn't feel like I had the power to do any of those things. And uh, even though as a kid I was always... Uh, I would say different, you know, and uh, my life was always about football. I was always uh, out there playing and kicking a ball. And um, if I wasn't that doing that, I was I was training in Barcelona, you know, it, it was quite far from my from my hometown. So that took quite a lot of my time traveling there and back. But um, then coming to London, I would say that this city kind of opened my mind. I lived in a small town. Everyone's like pretty conservative and uh, everyone is kind of like looks the same, has the same lives. You know, when you finish school, you go to work at your dad's job and that's it, how it kind of still is. And then coming to London and I saw this city just like full of different characters and people just like living their own lives, kind of not really caring about what anyone else was saying. And I had truly felt inspired and it gave me the the power and the confidence to kind of just do the same. And once I got the chance to be a regular in the team and kind of be respected and I knew I I could somehow just flourish and accept myself and just be who I really was and looking for the best version of myself through everything I do. And if there's something that I feel I can change or I can do different and I try it and it feels good, then I'll keep doing. And, you know, I'm I'm not anti-system, but I'm someone that I don't really believe in, like, the way that we live in the Western society of today. So that is not just in sport, but just in life in general. So for me to be different in that sense and to look for other alternatives have really made me grow as a person and as an athlete and I'm always on that journey. So interesting. When you talk about feeling this way, being a young player and then establishing yourself in the team, are you saying that right from quite a young age you felt a bit different and you had different opinions but you didn't feel you'd like earned the right to share them? And Yeah, because also you have... I would like to say that, you know, that when I was young, I was like really confident and I just like didn't care what anyone said, but that is not the truth. You know, that is something that I've kind of like figured it out and yeah. and learned to be that way. But at the beginning, I, I obviously cared about what my teammates uh, thought and, you know, what the boss Arsene Wenger thought at that time. And, you know, we had World Cup champions in the team, people that, you know, legends in, in, in that squad. So... For me, it was it was difficult to come out of my shell in in that way, and not because they didn't accept me, uh, because they did, and they took me into that dressing room uh, with open arms, but just because I felt very different in in many ways, and and for me, it was it was difficult to to kind of deal with that, and I I say I, I was different because in like the views that we had about the world and. 
it's not always that you have like deep conversations in a in a dressing room. But when we did, I really felt different about my opinion, and I didn't feel like my opinion was yet valued because I hadn't shown my worth yet. You know, I had only played like ten games. So what am I going to say to to these grown men? So um, I felt with time and you know with experiences, uh, one kind of starts to you know, to learn about themselves and and to not really care about what other people say. And if you don't like uh, or they don't like what they think of you, then it gets to, to a point that, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm not here to to be liked or anything. I just express my views. Some people like it, some people not. And, you know, I, I felt like I somehow with time I earned it. And now I'm like, I'm only 26, but I'm one of the senior people at the dressing room. And when I share my views now, some of the young players, they want to interact in these conversations and maybe they hadn't heard anything like that before. You know, they or maybe don't share the same views, but they accept the fact that someone else does. And for me, it's not never about right or wrong. It's more about understanding both sides. And that's something that I also had to learn because, you know, in a dressing room, like we share and how football and football fans and footballers are is something that I had to to accept that I was somehow very different to the people around me in that sense. So can I take you back to growing up then, Hector? Mm-hmm. Because you grew up in Catalonia, a region that's famous for stating its independence, whether mm-hmm. that's to Spain or to wider Europe. How much do you think that sense of independence that you grew up around in your culture inspired you to start to be more independent and different? Well, I don't really think that that is what uh, made me as independent as I am. Uh, Even though I was born in Barcelona, uh, no one in my family comes from Barcelona. They're all uh, immigrants from other parts of Spain, from the south of Spain, that they all moved to 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 Barcelona my my mom is like first generation catalonian in my in her side of the family and my dad moved from seville to to barcelona when he was 14 for love which was a great story as well so even though i'm I, i'm I, i'm someone that's impartial you know to all this uh, politics that that go on because obviously i was uh, born and raised in catalonia but my family are from the other side of spain and to me just in the subject, um, you know, putting borders up in 2020, it doesn't make sense anyway. So whatever that is and how it's been portrayed in the last few years, I feel that my truly, my, my real sense of independence came for the fact that since I was eight years old, I used to go to school at eight o'clock in the morning, finish at 5 p.m., gain a taxi uh, that would drive me to Barcelona for like an hour, train for an hour and a half, and then get back home at like 10.30 p.m. or 11 p.m. And then when I got home, I used to have dinner with my parents and my sister for half an hour. And then I had to go to sleep to wake up the next morning. So really throughout the whole day, I was by myself. Um, So that's where I truly feel that my independence kind of was forged since a really young age. And also I have to say, even though that my family was always around, I was some a kid that always used to be in the street. Like in Spain, the lights go off, uh, you know, really late at ten o'clock, and I was always in the street playing football with friends, and that's always been my my nature. So, even coming to London at sixteen and leaving my family and my friends and my culture, and everyone was like, "Oh, Hector, that must have been so hard." I was loving it. <laughs> it was not hard for me at all in the sense that I. I was somehow used to be by myself, you know? Uh, But at the same time, I had always had the support of my family. They always took care of me. If I was like really doing something bad or going with the wrong crowd, they always pulled me back, you know? So it was like 
a great kind of give and take, you know, at that age. And I think that's what truly formed the personality of me being comfortable with myself and being comfortable being different and independent. Let's talk then about the power of being independent. Um, I know you listened to the podcast. Have you listened to the episode with Marcelino Sambe? Mm. He's a principal dancer with the Royal Ballet. And again, he came from a slum in Portugal. His dad died when he was young. His mum couldn't look after him. He came over to the UK. He's gay, which is something that for a long time was frowned upon in the ballet world. Mm -hmm. When we spoke to him about all those things that have made him, particularly being openly gay, I said, "Could could you dance the way you dance and perform the way you do if you weren't totally yourself? And the answer was no. Mm. And I'm interested whether it's the same for you, whether you could be at the level you're at unless you were totally yourself. Because there'll be people listening to this who are just scared, basically, about being individuals or making Mm. decisions that they know are going to get others questioning or or frowning. So could you tell us about the power of being an individual? Well, I think the thing is for me to be able to perform 100% on that pitch I need to be at ease with everything that's going on around me. You know, if there's anything that I haven't done, that I haven't said, that that whatever it is that just lingers in my head, then that doesn't let me really focus on 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 the goal, uh, on on what I need to do. So throughout all my years, um, you know, I've had many challenges uh you know whether that was with performance or whether that was with scrutiny, whether it was with social media, family, etc. So for me to be able to get in a place where I was, um, you know, comfortable with what was in my head, I felt that I needed to speak about stuff. And that could have been just by speaking to someone privately with a therapist or a psychologist or whatever, or that could be speaking out loud on Twitter or on Instagram about a subject that was going on, you know? And I felt for me, even like making the documentary is something that, Obviously, it's something that you share and you um, try to give your opinion so other people can debate it. And But also, it's therapeutic for, for me, you know. The documentary is like, I'm like explaining my whole journey around my injury. But even though it is to help other people, for me, sitting in front of a camera and being able to share all my feelings and what I went through throughout those months... It was something that kind of took a weight off my shoulders. I was massive. And we spent one year making the documentary and I couldn't wait for it to get out because I felt like that's the moment that I released, you know? So for me, being able to say what I think and get it out of my head, it's almost like it's out there and then I can focus on what I really need to do. But you're also somebody that seems to have a high social antenna. You're socially aware of what's going on. So for you to speak out on some of these issues, whether it's environmentalism or sharing your uh, your views on certain subjects, the context of it is then going to lead you to be shot at or people to label accusations that you're not focused on your mm. career or you're not the professional in the certain stereotype they have. Yeah, and uh, it was really difficult at the beginning and I feel like at so many times, uh, there were so many moments that I questioned myself, you know, like, should I be doing this? Should I, you know, I was saying to my friend, like, should we really do this? Or, yeah. well, um, can you remember the first, the first thing you did that was sort of openly different? What was the, what was the moment that you... I think, I guess it was like just kind of putting an emphasis on like my dress sense or like really posting yeah. on social media about me liking clothes and fashion and stuff like that. I don't think it was nothing political or nothing like about like a social or environmental issue yet. I think it just started with the clothes. 
you would make that shows you what the world we live in. That just wearing clothes <laughs> was, is slightly it, it different. Was, it was wearing really clothes and I think growing my, my hair long, which was quite problematic for what it was. <laughs> to so me, were yeah. you surprised then by the scrutiny and the reaction and at times the criticism? So we have to put it into perspective in the fact that when I started doing all these things, then also as a team and as a club, we weren't performing in the same way that we weren't before, you know? Yeah. So I think we need to take all these things into account because I feel... If I would have been doing the same things off the pitch, but we won the league, I don't think we would have been talked about half as much, which is uh, the truth. So I felt that, you know, given social media and how media also portrayed how footballers should be like, or the fans or like whatever, it was like, okay, we lose a game, then you shouldn't be on social media. But you win a game, then you can do whatever you want. But it's not really like that because... For me, I've never, when I was younger, I was more, but now I'm not someone that's on social media at all. I spend like on social media probably like 20 minutes a day. But because I've been on social media and I've been active before and there's still stuff about me on social media, then people think that I spend most of my time, you know, on my phone. They say, he's too much on social media. Uh, he should be focusing on football. But really, I'm like 20 minutes. But that's the perception of people. And even though so many footballers, for example, let's say they finish a training session and they spend eight hours playing video games, which it happens, then that is okay. But a guy spending 30 minutes on social media or talking about clothes because he likes clothes or going to a fashion show that takes uh, half an hour or something is way worse than spending eight hours yeah, playing PlayStation. Because it goes against the stereotype, yeah, right? That's it. That's it. And because also you're not playing well. So we need to find, uh, we need to accuse someone of not playing well or yeah. losing, you know, we need to put the blame on someone. So the easiest way was like the young guy, he has long hair, he likes clothes, he's weird. So <laughs> he's vegan, like what else do you want? You know, I have all the tags. So um, yeah. yeah. So let's just, I really want to clear this up because as you know, in my job as a, as a football presenter, I'm sometimes sitting with pundits and they will say things like, well, you know, I've seen he's, he's, you know, designing his own fashion range. So is he really focused on his football? <laughs> and I, I so badly want to sort of go back on those mm -hmm. moments. Often there isn't the time and it doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. I really want to clear up for people. So we have this real clarity here. Having interests outside of just kicking a football for 15 hours a day is healthy, right? It, in your mind, it makes you a better footballer to have other things in your life to give you a rounded view of the world. So my... The first thing that I say to people when they ask me that is that imagine a footballer, he's just had a, a kid, newborn kid. When he gets home, he doesn't do nothing that is not being with his kid and playing with him and taking care of him and stuff like that. He's not thinking about football at all, right? So what is the difference between that or someone just having another, you know, something else that he likes, you know, it's, it's a hobby, it's, it's another passion. Same as your family can be your passion. For me, that is my passion. And it's not just clothes. I love photography. I love art. I love reading. I love so many things, you know, I'm someone that, you know, I love to learn. So I do online courses all the time, you know, things like that. So for me, I do everything that it's in my hands to be able to perform 100% at the weekend. And I can guarantee you that I sleep nine hours a day, I eat the best I can eat uh, always at the same time. So I have like these routines and, you know, I prep before training. I recover after training. I do everything I can. And when I'm out there, if I am not tired, that is going to compromise how I'm going to play in the next game, I'll do some extra. And I I'm saying this for myself, but so many of my teammates are like that, you know, and people don't see that. But at the same time, being a footballer, which is like at the training ground, you spend four or five hours a day means that I have 
tons of time at home where I can be doing anything. And for me, doing something creative, something that I learn about myself, something that puts me more in touch with myself or with nature or with my surroundings, with what's going on socially, culturally. For me, that's a way of like becoming a better person and then at the same time becoming a better athlete or a better whatever I'm gonna be in the future. So it's like, for me, playing video games, yeah, I play every now and then, but I can't do that every day. I feel like I'm wasting my time. So I feel like all these other things help me, you know, be in the process of creating something or like learning about something or connecting with other people, whatever it is. See, that's fascinating. And what I'm interested in is how, so if if there's somebody listening to this that's open-minded to go, okay, then Hector, tell me, how does photography help you out there on the field in terms of your professional job. Would you explain a bit about the yeah. skills that, that that translate across? For sure. And to me, it's not only about the skills, but also about recharging, you know? Yeah. For me, being every day in a, in, in a football state, it's not healthy for me. You know, there's players that can go home and watch game after game after game after game. That's not me. You know, I watch my games, my performances, my team's performances. Who are we going to play next? Uh, how can I, you know, help my team in? So I do the homework, right, for myself. But then, you know, I like to grab a camera and walk around the forest. And these things, what they made me is like, for example, they made me see stuff that I've never seen before, you know? If you one day walk in the street, the same walk that you do every day, but without your phone, and you really look around, you will notice things that you've never seen before. And to me, this is like a way of also being connected with like nature and with the stuff around us, you know? And I've moved to the countryside like a year ago. And um, it's the first time that I've seen the course of like how trees or plants or flowers around me blossom. Yeah. And that's something that when I was young with my granddad and they had a house in the countryside, I used to, you know, do all the time and it was like second nature to me, but I hadn't done that in like 20 years, you know, and these things, I think that, you know, they, they root me and they humble me and they made me realize that, you know, I'm just like one more person in like this world. I don't know. It's like. Sense of perspective. Yeah, it's perspective. And it's like, I'm just a normal person. And, you know, there's a, there's a common goal here. And I don't know, it's, it's a bit more deep than just, uh, you know, I take a picture and this translates into the game that this is, it's like a deeper, deeper sense that I just feel that these things make me feel better about myself and learning new things that learning to take better pictures make me feel better. And, you know, the, the feel good sense is something that it's going to put you in the game always in a, in a better position. I have a little boy that plays football like many people do. He's only five years old, almost six, but I want him to grow up in a world where he can love football, play football, enjoy football, but also enjoy everything else as well. Yeah. I don't think at the moment we live in that world. I don't know whether you've thought about this. I suspect you may have done. What needs to change? What conversations do we need to be having apart from this kind of thing to try and drive change in this area to just lead to more acceptance? I think it's difficult and there's lots of great areas. I don't think that there's one thing that we need to do, but I think we need to educate people in the sense that, I mean, we are humans at the end of the day you know we have our issues we have our problems we have our day-to-days like everyone else and we trust me everyone in that dressing room wants to give a hundred percent to win at the weekend and sometimes it will happen and sometimes it won't but we're all different at the same time and we need to accept that you know just because i pay money to watch my team and my team doesn't win and then this guy is not training 
I don't know, 10 hours a day, that means that I'm paying for no reason and he should be doing. I feel like somehow the way that football is, lots of fans or people out there can feel like they own a part of us because they spend money in watching us. And, you know, I, I get that. But at the same time, you know, we're just doing what we can and we're doing our best. And, and we have, um, you know, our own lives in which we need to manage in the best way that we think we can to be able to give the fans what they're really asking us for. But that doesn't mean that every single player or person is going to get to that level in the same way. Some players, like you see the Michael Jordan documentary, like he's obsessed, you know, and that's what people think that, oh, every single player has to be like this. But trust me, I know so many players at the top level that they're not like that at all, mm. you know? And is being like that even healthy to that human being? Because I'm watching that documentary and I don't know if he was, you know? Yeah. And people's opinion can change. But for me, the most important thing for me is to be happy and to find a way in which I can be at the best level so I can make these fans happy, you know? And to me, that is not being obsessed with the game 24-7. To me, it's like discovering myself away from the game and, you know, my family, my people, my community, and being able to reach a headspace that when it comes to Saturday, I'm 100% ready. See, I love that phrase there about being happy because... In my experience of working with team sector, I, it's a phrase that I often talk to coaches about and say, mm -hmm. happy teams tend to win. Mm -hmm. You want people to perform at their best. It's yeah. about happiness. How frequent is that conversation in the dressing rooms that you've been around? Well, I think it's very, very, very important to have a good team mood and like that the dressing room works well. And for me, that's personally always been really important, mainly because the only reason why I started playing football as a kid is because I love celebrating goals. I, I didn't care about like passing or anything. I just wanted to score a goal so I could celebrate, you know? So the team effect for me was always so important. Happy can mean anything, but I think having a good mood in which like every player wants to come and train every day, they want to give the 100%, they want to make sure they bring the energy to the rest of the squad and, you know, there's someone injured, so we help him and we do all of this, you know. I think that's very important because when things go well and the results are good, no one really cares about that. Everything is overseen. But when things don't go well, if you don't have that mattress at the bottom, that's when you're going to crash. So I think those little non-written rules of like respect and camaraderie or you know helping each other um asking questions to each other being humble being uh you know older players helping younger players and all this synergy that you need in the dressing room i think is really important and you see it in the top teams at the top you see that without even getting into the dressing room you, you see that that part of the homework they've done and let me just mention again the documentary that you've you've briefly mentioned. It's on YouTube for people mm -hmm. and it's you over overcoming your injury. Picking up on the point you just made then, how important is it for you to show vulnerability at work? And I wonder whether part of the documentary was an opportunity to show a, a vulnerable side. Well, for me, it was really important because also that for me is a way to educate and to show people what it is to be a man in, in 2021 or in 2020 or whatever it was because uh, I don't believe in the stereotypes of the past and I don't think that is healthy for men or for women or for kids growing up or for anything. So if I can have, you know, kids or younger people looking up to me and I'm able to give them 
another side of the story, the fact that a man can be vulnerable, a man can talk about his feelings, a man goes through dark times and I'm not a superhero that is just there on TV every Saturday. I go through loads of issues and, and good times as well and I enjoy them in the in the same way and if I don't enjoy them, they make me learn. And for me showing that vulnerability and for me showing that more let's say feminine side of of a man is is important because i think that is the only way that a man or any person can be healthy if you have both sides and if you are able to be in touch with your feelings and if you're able to express them if you are able to talk about them then only then you can you know also help other people because if you cannot even help yourself how are you going to help other people so i feel like putting that out there was very helpful to me and very therapeutic to me but hopefully that also shed a light in ways that hopefully younger kids can get inspired by that that there's nothing wrong with that you see a all. difference now with the young players that are coming through say at arsenal you've been there 10 years compared to 10 years ago is there more vulnerability is there less toxic masculinity among those young players or is it still a, a work in progress i think there's still a work in product in progress and I think there's not as much uh, inherited toxic masculinity, but there is still not so much acceptance in the world of football. It's kind of like you have to be that way. So even if you're young and you don't think in the same way that other people do, it's like I was when I was young, you know, I still didn't feel ready to to be myself. So I still see that. But I do see more individuals wanting to be themselves caring less about the norms uh, of the game or like the dressing room and stuff, which in a way, it pisses a lot of people off and saying like, oh, these younger players, they don't respect the older ones, da, 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 which is true in a way, but at the same time, they're being individuals and they're expressing themselves in the way they are and they don't really care about the rules that are written. So I respect that too. And I feel that that is the starting point towards being more individualistic in the sense that I don't care what people say. This is the way I am. If you, you you either, you know, you either like me or you don't like me. Obviously, I feel in everything there's rules. You know, you're part of a yeah. team. Yeah. So there's certain things that if you want to be part of the team, there's certain things that you need to stick to and you need to do and things you can't do. But in the same time, there's more freedom to express themselves, which I like. Have you ever had anybody within that environment say to you, wind your neck in or stop doing this, stop posting on... Yeah, I've had this. that. I've had that. I've had people, I mean, I'm not going to say names, but I've had sure. people from the club. I've had like coaching staff uh, and sometimes not so much or maybe when I was younger, yes, but now that I'm older, not so much telling me not to do it, but asking me why I did it. Right. And then when they ask me, I give them a good enough answer that they're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense because I don't feel like I'm someone, I'm impulsive, but at the same time, I don't do something without thinking about it before or without having the information that I need or, you know, all my views or my opinions that I've put out there, they're there for a reason. And they're not just like tweeting the moment, you know? It's always thought of, I have friends where whenever I'm like, I really want to say something, I'm like, what do you think about saying this? And they're like, okay, Hector, think about it. Or maybe let's post it tomorrow. Let's see how the situation is. And that kind of like, I have another chance to like think about it and how or how to express it in a different way. So obviously I have people around me that are, helping me and you know because probably in other situations i could have made mistakes but i tried that everything i do and everything i say to to be backed up and when people and i don't say that to say like yo guys this is the way we should all think no i think i just put it out there because i want people to talk to me and say like, oh but this is not like this and then 
it's about understanding each other, you know, because when you raise a awareness about something, then there's going to be a conversation and maybe someone that hasn't heard it before or they already had like preconceptions of that topic, then ca they can see the other side and maybe they won't agree, but at least they'll know that there's people out there that they just feel different. So it's more to me, it's about understanding each other and why we think in different ways. And if I can be a part of putting that conversation out there and even get younger kids that have never been interested in politics before or never interested in the environment before and they can start researching or, you know, maybe making more conscious choices about the way they live their life. If it's, you know, only one kid or one one person, then to me it's like a big win. So can you give us an example of where you've challenged a convention and somebody has been curious enough to understand it mm. that has changed the perception or of a judgment within your working environment? Well, for me, my diet was like one of them. Um, I think, for example, when, I mean, I've been vegan for four years now. And the first time that I asked a nutritionist, which was probably six years ago about going vegetarian, his answer was like, oh, caveman used to hand so we need me, okay? So I was like, cool. At that time, I was still in that stage where, you know, I, as I said, I was already thinking about going, at that time I was vegetarian, wasn't yeah. vegan yet, but I was already thinking about that stuff, but I wasn't ready to even like say, ah, oh, doesn't matter what he said, I'm gonna do it anyway. I wasn't there. But two years later, after researching and information, I spoke to David Hay one day that I met him at, at a dinner and he said he'd become vegan for a few years and, you know, he wishes that he would have done that before because it's helped him so much. So, you know, certain things happened that pushed me to do it. And then no one really asked questions. Then I had my ACL and there was a period where after my ACL that for two, three months, I kept, I kept getting niggles everywhere, you know, especially on my right leg. I felt like there was a bit of like still my right leg wanted to compensate because even though you healed and the structure is fine, deep in your subconscious, it's like, I'm going to run, probably put more weight on my right leg because there's still trauma in that leg, you know? So I kept getting loads of issues in there and few of members in the, in the team and, you know, and nutritionists or conditioning coaches were like, oh, maybe we need to look at your diet. You know, which is which is fine, which is understandable because there's fine margins. You know, you can get injuries for anything, and I'm, I truly believe in looking at life in like a holistic way. You don't get injured because you misstep there. You get injured because you probably you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, you are stressed. Yeah. Da, 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 da. So those are the responses that to me like affect your body more than anything else. So I said, look, we can target any other things, but I'm pretty sure that. That's, that diet is not my issue. So we targeted what we thought it was apart from the diet. And this year I've been able to stay healthy for throughout the, the whole Premier League. You know, I've played like, I think like 30 games or something this year. Um, I've played like six games in a row, which I didn't do since before my injury. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been fine in terms of that. So I was able to prove that, you know, that wasn't the, the issue. Yeah. There was another issue, but we sorted it out anyway. And then in any change, Hector, it takes the the initiator to go first mm -hmm. like this. Who's been the followers? Have you had people that have come to you and explored that diet issue and taken on veganism? So there's been loads of players that they've asked me about like, oh, what did you eat instead of me? Or what do you do in here? What do you do there? Um, if you don't drink milk, what do you drink? And things like that. There hasn't been players that have gone fully vegan, at least at the club or that I know of. There's a lot of members of the staff that have, uh, but it's true that there's 
I feel like players are eating less meat every day right. and are eating less uh, animal products every day, which to me is a is a big win in, in many ways anyway, not just for the environment, but I think for health and everything. For me, I mean, it's been one of the best things I've ever done. And yeah, I think there's more interest. Uh, also, it's like more like mainstream now, you know, more people want to do it, more people are getting informed and people ask the questions now and they want to try new things. And also I feel like during COVID, a lot of people like, uh, you know, they were thinking a lot about the choices and everything that they did day to day. So I think in football, there's still a long way to go because there's so many things that have worked for so many years that it's yeah. difficult to always make that change. And I think it's a slow process. And, you know, I was probably the first one at Arsenal and there'll be someone after me and there's, you know, Forest Green Rovers that are doing it at a club level. And, you know, slowly we're going to get there. And if we won't, we won't. But I think people will be more conscious. You're moving the dial. Like, yeah, yeah, moving the dial. And people, at least when they eat meat or the amounts of, they, of time they eat meat, they will change or at least they will ask themselves why they're doing that, you know. So do you think that you're an you're an outlier in football because you think differently, but then you act upon it? And actually, there's loads of people in football that think differently, but they haven't quite reached the point you have where they're happy to act upon it. I think I'm lucky also in the people that I've had around me because I've had my doubts uh, throughout all this process. And, uh, you know, it wasn't everything, even the, the, the journey of like mm. getting to a place which I'm comfortable talking and doing all this stuff. It's because the people around me have supported me to doing that, you know? And they've been like, oh, don't care about what people say. This is what you want to do, you do that. Or, you know, you want to go vegan, try it. Do it for a month, do it for two weeks, but don't do it half fast, do it properly, you know? And when I went vegan, my best friend and the chef that was helping me at home, they both went vegan, you know? So I had, you know, all of a sudden, just because I wanted to, they they helped me, you know? And they did it with me and they and they felt that they wanted to put themselves through what I was putting myself through and, and see how it affected. And, you know, my best friend's still vegan to today. Uh, my chef is not vegan anymore, but her choices have changed so much since like the beginning when, when she was. So... I feel so lucky and so grateful that the people that I've met along the way and my family that have always been there and uh, the people I've met in football and outside of football have helped me to flourish, have helped me to stay in my lane and have helped me to focus on the goal that I've always had because my vision was always there and sometimes you can lose a little bit the sight of it but I feel the people that you have around you are so important into getting you back on track. So do you believe that you're decision to take the path least trodden has adversely affected your professional career not at all right because i think what what summarizes me doing those things is i'm always searching for what can make me better you know and my girlfriend always laughs at me in the way that sometimes she says like you need to chill you know that there's something like i think there's this little thing that if you eat it makes you feel like this or like i think i need to sleep one more hour every day and always you know i'm Put like new routines or new disciplines that I feel that can make me feel better the day after or like the week after and all these things, you know, I'm always eager to try those things. So I'm not in any way afraid that I'm like that, that that I feel that is what's put me in the position that I am today. And if I did, wasn't in that way, I probably wouldn't even have the right to Arsenal then, you know, so it's very easy to say like, oh, you know, has it made it worse? Has it made it better? But I think I wouldn't be here in the first place. Okay. And to me, you know, my my goal or my my reason why I do what I do has changed all along the years. But I think for me, 
winning trophies or all this stuff, my perception of that has changed a lot, you know? And the reason why I do what I do is because I want to inspire and I want to be content with what I do. And I don't care if my road is different to anyone else. There's so many ways of doing it, you know? Just because players are this way in the past doesn't mean we have to be like that in the future. And I'm so at ease with myself and so proud of myself in that in that way that I'm just who I am and I'm riding this wave in my own way with whatever is happening in the outside or however people want me to be instead. You are the epitome of a growth mindset in every sort of respect when we have this conversation, you know, everything that you're talking about comes from a growth mindset. I'm really interested, you mentioned there about it was once just about winning trophies, now it's about everything else. I think it's important to explain to people, right, that let's say when you were 15 or 16 and your only focus was winning a trophy. Mm -hmm. When you're 26, you can still have focus on loads of other areas. But let's be absolutely clear to people listening to this, that doesn't mean you have less focus on winning a trophy and having a successful football career. Because I think that that, that is the mistake people make. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, right, if he's focusing on this, he's, it's like when you have a kid, you love your first kid, you have your second kid, you find loads of love for the second kid, but you don't love the first kid any less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, and because... Right now, I'm not playing football just for that. Now I'm playing football to enjoy. I'm playing football to to be... I think what my, my focus has been a lot lately is like to be a better player than I was yesterday. Mm. Whereas before, I didn't really care about that. I just wanted to get there. And now I'm just want to... I know that if I get better every day, I'm going to get closer to be there. So like my, my, my goal is like more focused than it was before. Because you said, like for example, when I was 16, I wanted to win a trophy, right? But when I was 16, actually, my focus was... I want to get my family out of where they are. You know, we were having difficult times in Spain, the crisis in 2008 and everything. And that was my goal. And then I signed for Arsenal, you know, it's kind of like my motivation started to get a bit different. And then it got to a point that I signed, I think it was my second or third professional contract at Arsenal. And I suffered like a lack of motivation. And I didn't know why it was, you know. And I was speaking to the psychologist at the club and stuff. And he was like, what's changed? What's changed? And I had just bought a house in Barcelona. And then my family were living there. And I was like, whoa. So everything that I've been working for all these years, now I've been able to do it. Now I feel like, what am I playing for? Yeah. You know, because my family are already out. So then I had to refocus. And then at that time, this is a few years ago, my refocus was like, I had just won, I think, uh, right back of the year uh, in the in the Premier League, the FA, the FA team, team of the year, yeah. So I was like, now I want to be in the Champions League team of the year or whatever, right? I want to be the best right back in the world. And I felt like, yeah, cool, that motivated me, but that wasn't focused enough. That, that was just too vague and was too, I don't know, I feel like I couldn't put, uh, couldn't touch it, if that makes sense, yeah, yeah. you know? Whereas now it's like, I want to be better than what I was yesterday. And I know how I was yesterday. So I know how I can be today. So this is real. And I feel like if I focus on that every day, I'm going to get closer and closer to where I can be. And you know what's really important about that is we spoke to a lady on the podcast called Susie Ma. Mm -hmm. And she spoke about something called infinite purpose. Mm -hmm. She said, you need to have your purpose, but it can't have an end. And the brilliant thing about being better than you were yesterday mm -hmm. in every facet of your life yeah. is that no matter how good you are tomorrow, the day after you mm -hmm. need to be even better, it, do it doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. So it's about the journey, not the destination. Yeah, for sure, because it, that puts a limit on yourself, you know. And winning trophies, I've won like six trophies with Arsenal, you know. So if it was like, oh, I just win the FA Cup and then what? I, I win the league or I win the Champions League. Once you do that, then what, you know? And to me, being better than how I was yesterday and being, make sure that I'm more focused than I was yesterday and that I win more duels than I won yesterday. And that, that to me is like, it's real because I remember what I did yesterday. So I can always be better than yesterday. Yeah. And I know 
deep in my mind that that is also going to get me closer to what has always been there, which is the trophies. Yeah. Or which is like, you know, being as high in the table as we can be, whatever it is your goal. But I think it's like a smaller goal that is more real, that is more individual and it's more for me. And, you know, it, it truly, I can see it and it makes me happier to achieve it. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So help us understand then, Hector, for anyone listening to this, what kind of questions did you start asking yourself to come to that understanding that you had a different purpose than what you'd had mm. prior to that? Well, I feel like this, as I'm learning about myself and I'm learning about mental health and I'm learning about uh, how to overcome my issues is, I feel like we're all always in this journey of like understanding ourselves and how we deal with our feelings. And we never really fully reach like happiness as there is, you know, there's always like a problem coming kind of thing. But um, when I started listening to my feelings and speaking to people about it, I realized that there was many more issues that I thought that they were, you know? And I just wasn't listening to myself enough or I was just avoiding them and stuff like this. So I feel that the way that we are brought up and we're raised when we play team sports as kids is very detrimental to to a kid growing up because you're basically telling this kid you're only as good as your last game. So if you're good, great, everyone's chanting your name. If you score six goals, you basically humiliate someone else, then you're even better. And that, that's your response. So it gets to a point that, you know, football is not about enjoying anymore. It's more about like, you have to be better than someone else. You have to like destroy someone else, destroy that team. And like the bigger, the better. And it kind of like eliminates all compassion in your life because 
football is our life, so it's kind of like it's all holistically. You know, you 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 lose all those things around you. And when I realized that, in order for me to, as a person, be healthy and be more happy, I needed to be more compassive. Then I also need to do that on the football pitch because otherwise I'm like, well, am, am I two people? Am I like yeah. having a, a duality in like my own personality? So I need to like think about everything in that way. So why am I playing football for if I don't want to humiliate this guy? Well, I want to play football because I love football. Yeah. I want to play football because that's what I've always wanted to do, and I wanted to play football because you know that's also my opportunity to to reach other people into this. It, it, in and you know and via voice and so there's many deeper things that are not um, what they taught me to be you know and there's so many things that I still need to work on but for me to going to play football to beat someone else or to be the best that I want to be to actually play football because yeah. I love it it has a completely different mindset. Oh, I struggle with that one a bit. Though. Yeah, I, love I don't because as a football fan, I'm like, yeah, I want you to go out and not just be yeah, the position. But that's also that's like the, the like, toxic masculinity that we're thinking about, yeah. you know, because it's all about like beating someone else. And the so then, hey, so let me jump in there then and ask because I know there will be uh, like kids football coaches mm. or teachers listening mm. to this. What are the kind of messages they should be giving to kids that are playing sport then that goes more down the description that you're mm -hmm. that you're offering i think especially when they're young is all about playing and enjoying and with the friends and always making it fun and you know and I, I don't know i don't i don't feel like there's a way in which like we should teach kids that their result or their performance is going to be linked to to their value you know it's like Brilliant. your 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 value as a human, I, I would say that analogy of like a candle, you know, it should always be like a candle that's always burning at the same rate, right? So your value is always this. So it doesn't matter if you score a goal, it doesn't matter if you score an own goal, it doesn't matter if you lose your always win, your value is always here. In football, it's always a complete other way around. It's like you score a goal, you win a trophy, yeah. boom. But then you lose and you're down here. So you're never in the middle. And everything around you, all the voices around you, your coach doesn't pick you if you don't play well. The media doesn't, you know, doesn't talk good about you. But it's not that they don't talk good about you, they talk bad. So they, they dig you a hole, you know. And then some of people that you call friends, maybe you're not playing that well, but you know, they don't talk to you as much. And like, but then when you do well again, everyone is messaging you every week. And oh, what a great game you played. Everyone on Instagram. So the candle is constantly like this. And so I you're being defined by what happens on a football Yeah, you basically, your self-esteem is yeah, like performance yeah. self-esteem. It's not like, a, a, you know, your, your value is dictated by your performance, which like not healthy human being can, yeah, yeah. can be happy with those metrics. But don't you have to hate losing and love winning to then yeah, become but then, but then like, to, to be like when successful? When that candle is always burning so hard, then it's so easy to get blown out at the same time. So it's always constantly highs and lows, highs and lows. Whereas... I feel like a lot of people that are happy are people that sometimes like they just work their nine to five, they have their family, their life is always somehow in like the same wave and like they appreciate things that, just simple things. They appreciate waking up in the morning and they taste the coffee and you know, how far this coffee's come from and who's made, you know, there's so many like enjoying the- I, I relate, I feel jealous of people like that, don't you? I yeah. see them and I think, I wish I could feel- And, and, and I feel like I'm trying joyful. to become more that and I'm trying to be enjoying more the, the little things in the simple things in life. And I think quarantine has been so great for so many people because even just spending time with their kids at home when they were working in the office every single day of the week and things like that. and. To me, it's made me appreciate more the sunset. And uh, where I live, I can't even see the stars, but I couldn't see them in London. And it's, it's been great, you know, having those little moments. But I think 
the way that we raise kids playing in in this yeah. kind of game is not healthy for them when they become older so me knowing that yeah. <laughs> thank you me knowing that and then trying to get that out of my system and trying to change my metrics in which why, how I measure my value as a human being and then at the same time having to perform every week. So let me tell you why I, I love this. I, I had a conversation with my young son mm. uh, plays rugby and um, a couple of years ago I spoke to his coaches and the question I asked him was, what's the most obvious question parents ask a child when they come off the field? And the first question is, did you win? Mm. And my question was, why would you care? He's a nine-year-old boy. Why mm. he shouldn't have any bearing on whether he won or not. The questions I suggested was, did you enjoy it? What did you learn? Mm-hmm. How were you a good teammate? The, I felt they yeah. were more productive questions. So, sure. so what questions do you ask yourself when you come off a field? What are the questions that you ask yourself, Hector? And, and, and let me tell you something about what you said before. I think like also when you ask a kid, did you win? That kid is also is also thinking like, wait, so if I didn't win, are you going to treat me differently? Yeah. You know, it's like, is how are you going to treat me after this conversation going to change if I won or I lost? You know, so I think that that as a kid, just even th- that fear or like that. Yeah, but society puts winners here and losers here. Yeah, and that's a bit of the issue as well, you know. But obviously I understand that you win, but winning should be a result of like really enjoying and wanting to be the best. And I don't, I'm not saying like competing is is bad, not at all. It's all about why do we do this? And I, I, I think that about everything. I don't think nothing in itself is bad. It's just like how and why, you know? Yeah. And if you're addicted to competing like Michael Jordan, and then he was competing for anything. And I was competing at golf and he was competing at these, at cars and, and for me that, I see that, from the outside and I was like, I don't know if I would like to have the head that he had or going through what he was going, you know, because he was someone that constantly had to be, you know, competing and betting and da, 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 da. He had no, you know, he had no ceiling. He just had to keep going. So for me, the questions that I ask myself today is like, first of all, I don't ask any questions or I don't ask myself any questions. I just let myself enjoy or let myself grieve when I have a bad game or when we lose. And, and it happens in every single dressing room. As I've seen it now, it's like you're going to the dressing room and everyone's on their phones, right? To me now, it's like, just put it away and like whatever feeling comes to me, it's like, you know, we lost to Villarreal and I was like really, really angry and I was really sad and I was really upset and I was like, I don't, I, I don't want to not respect this feeling. I want to feel it. I want to feel sad and I want to feel angry and I want to feel upset and I want to get home and still feel this. I don't want to, because if you go on your phone and you speak to your people, that's these distractions. You're not really feeling the feelings that you need to feel. So, and when I win, it's the same. Like I want to, you know, talk to my teammate, yo, that, that thing you did that was so good or like, this was really nice. So like, just get the whole energy of the, of the dressing room. And then the day after, I'll ask the questions. For me, my questions usually are, performance base in terms of like how I did on the pitch and I know what I should be doing or what I shouldn't be doing so I watch my game back I watch the whole the whole game back then I watch just my clips then I talk to coaches about like what should I done here did I do this well did I didn't I do this right and then it's like analyzing the game and stuff but I think I care less and less and I let myself be less affected by what other people say because before after the after the game I used to go on social media oh, Hector did this Hector did that I was like I can't do this anymore I don't care about this so and now it's about just trying to live my life in the same way regardless of that performance and of course like people say like oh you know they're not angry enough or they're not upset enough after the game and stuff like that and I feel like I am upset when that's happened 
And for 10 minutes or for 15 minutes, but I don't want to go home and be sad for two days. Like, what kind of life is that? You know, I want to be able to process those you, feelings. People properly. feel they need to either need to say it, even if it's not yeah. true, or they need to make themselses feel it yeah. because I think they think that's making them better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I also feel like it's it's more for the outside. It's making feel like showing the fans that they care. So, do you do anything to make it look like you care more? Or no, say- because I feel like. I've been 10 years at the club and every single choice that I've made throughout these years I think people should know how much love and how much I care about this club. And obviously there's so many things behind the scenes and things that happen but people will never know this and people will never get the full story. But people around me that know what I've been through, uh, that know my attachment to the club, they could never say anything like not even like one little bit that I don't care about the club or that you know at any time I wasn't sad about a win or like whatever but to me you know I don't need to show this for anyone and I don't really care how if people think cuz this is all perception people will never know so to me it's just about you know I'm going to feel sad for the amount of time I feel I need to I'm going to let this feeling go through and then after I'm going to go into the next task and then after I'm going to be with my family I'm going to be with my friends and I'm going to have fun and even if it was I don't know 3 hours ago that I lost a game there'll be games that it'll take me a day you know to to get back to it but there'll be games that after an hour I'll be fine and I don't need to make myself feel bad for something I didn't do well because for me having these negative feelings they're not going to have any sort of advantage towards the next game it's only being in a good mindset and in like a learning mindset I almost like I try to see my games in like a third person you know i try oh, to say more about to that. not judge myself so when i'm watching hector bellerin play his last game i'm not judging me i'm judging hector bellerin how did he do that you know so why, then it's like why is that useful because then i'm i'm it's not personal to me anymore and i can if he that guy has done something wrong i can say that to him you know whereas if i say that to myself maybe you know there's a bit of a barrier so me it's like watching alexander arnold play and i can say what he's done right or what he's done wrong So it's kind of like this third person so gives you judge the, yourself on the same level the same as you level would judge as anyone else. So opposition. there's no nothing personal about it, and there's no like hiding behind anything or I oh, but I didn't do this because this player should have done that. No, okay, he did something wrong. He did something wrong, and then I can learn from that. And how did you learn that? That's a fascinating well, approach. I think I don't know. I like to listen to your guys' podcast, for example, and I like to see like how ways I can improve. I think that seeing yourself as a third person that's something like even like Marcus Aurelius used to speak about and it's like ways of like you know becoming you know happier or like having a better life and there's things that they've been around for many many years and it's not that until you hear it from someone else or you hear someone putting it into the context of sport you start like realizing that you can really do these things but these things are not as you say like it would be so easy to teach many players to to learn this trick or this like seeing the something a third person so they can re- really truly learn or like for example but it's something that i've just kind of like found that in my own way and it's worked for me and maybe for any other player maybe it wouldn't work but but the reason i love that is because we were speaking about your curiosity and to look at the world around you mm-hmm. and then you've taken something from by your curiosity mm-hmm. a technique that is directly applicable to mm-hmm. those that just want to view you as a footballer yeah. it aids you it makes you better Yeah and I think so and that is part of like me wanting to have an interest into like I don't know in like all the philosophy for example and that I can put that into the perspective and and into the football realm is something that is truly helped me into not taking things so personal and like you know not only with the way I analyze things but when I feel like people giving me criticism you know taking this criticism as if it wasn't for me it was for someone else like mm. is that that 
are they criticizing that person um, in the right way? Like, is it truly criticism or I, like they, you know, it comes from like no reason, like they just trying to speak bad Can about Can we talk about example. criticism for a minute then? Yeah, because obviously in the job that I do, I spend my life mm-hmm. standing externally watching someone like you play a game of football and then mm-hmm. having an opinion. Yeah. And the pundits that I work with are paid mm-hmm. literally to have that opinion. Yeah. And like you've already said, you don't know what goes on because we just see the game of football. And that is the... I'd love some advice from you on how we do our job better because football clubs and footballers let us see five or 10% mm. of what's truly gone on. The other 90% we have to make up. Mm. If someone's having a bad game, we might say, well, maybe there's issues at home. We don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're trying to kind of paint the picture. So what can we do better in football media to represent footballers better? Well, I have to say, I've, I've been a pundit. I did that pundit in one game when I was like, How'd you really, find yeah. it? <laughs> it was good. It was good. But it also gave me a glance of like what also goes behind uh, the scenes, you know. And I was with Guillembal again, you know. We were judging certain situations in the game. And I was like, oh, is this really how they do it in here? You know, so it was like really interesting for me to see. But I think I know why so, so many pundits say the things that they say. I know sometimes they mean them. I know sometimes they don't. I'm maybe... You know, a lot of them, they've played football in a different era. You know, there's different times now. Things go in a different way. But I also know that also people need to watch those games. Can so you sometimes you say, need of... to say certain things so people but when go watch those say something they don't mean? What do you mean by that? Because sometimes um, there's things that they, they say and I don't want to like disrespect their job or like anything like that. But sometimes they say things that don't make sense. And I think you probably sometimes sitting there, you're like, what are you talking about? But also this person is getting paid to say those things. So the more outrageous you are, the more people are going to watch you the day after. Now that is true. Which is true. Because the world we live in now, it's all, I see it all the time. People say outrageous stuff. Because it's outrageous, they get hundreds of thousands of social yeah. media views. Then that's considered successful. But I'm not sure it is successful because the people that are watching it are thinking... What are they, what's they talking about? Let's share yeah, it. Yeah, but it's very similar to the performance value thing. It's like, you're either up here or you're either here. Like, you're either the best player in the world or you're the worst player in the world, you know? And it's like, you either say the, wor- the worst thing or the best thing ever. But there's nothing about consistency. No one is like giving an award for consistency, you know? And I always think about when people ask me like, who's the best player you play with and stuff like that. And for me, someone like Nacho Monreal is someone that I appreciate so much because... Every single game, this guy was a seven or an eight. He was never a 10. He was never a five, seven or eight. And who's getting an award for that? That's like probably the hardest job ever. Someone that is able to get out every single game playing two, three times a week. And he's always at the same level. And that's what the coach expects. A coach knows what to expect from him. Fans know what to expect from him. And that is the best thing you can do. Seven rights don't get views. No. Don't sell newspapers. Yeah. Don't drive subscriptions. But but truly, it's, That's it's the world we some, live in, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's truly someone in the industry yeah. is like, I wish I could do that, you know, because you can have games that you're at eight or a nine and it's great, but then you're also going to have games that you're at four or five. And if you're someone that can be constantly there and he knows what he can, he knows his limits, he knows what he's good at and he does that every single game. You know, but there's no prize for that. No one really cares. And it's true that Nacho is someone that, you know, people love. And uh, it, Arsenal is some, some some sort of like cult hero as well, you know, which I think like, but I think he deserves way more than that. Yeah. You know, for how many years he played and at the level that he played. And, but there is no prize for that. There's a prize for like scoring like the best goal and like, you know, so many goals a season and like, which is cool. And at the same time, it's like what sells, you know? So the values are wrong maybe. But the values are wrong in that sense. And I think people that are really in the industry really value how hard it is to be that kind of player and how much that gives a team. So that reminds me of 
like it's an interesting question because it reminds me of at Saracens, the rugby mm. club. They have a saying there that when they do their game review, they review the shit that no one else ever sees. And it's the stuff that fans won't spot, but it's the guy that tracks a runner all the way mm. back and the ball doesn't come to him or the guy that chases someone down, even when they're certain to score a try, but they make them work hard for mm. it. And they celebrate those values. How much do you see that being celebrated internally within football? Personally, at Arsenal, is something that has changed a lot. And I think the ethics and the way they work since Mikel has been the the manager of the club has has completely changed. And these behaviours, our, our behaviours have been awarded by them, you know, and there's more emphasis on like their behaviours or the way we run back or the way that we create space for a player. Because, you know, you, you can move to receive the ball, you can move to get a player away or you can move into space. You know, there's so many ways that you can move for. And sometimes... A goal is created not by the player that passes the ball, by the player that scores, but by the player that actually created that space and did what he had to do at that time. And many people and the fans in the stands or even pundits sometimes, they won't see that. But truly, that's what we've practiced. That's what the coach has asked. And by the player doing that, we were able to score that goal. And I think even sometimes for the players, it's hard to see when other teams doing stuff. But we know in, in our dressing room and in the way we play that we scored that goal thanks to that player. And then when we analyse the game, the coach will say like, guys, this is thanks to this player, this, 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 this and this. And then we scored the goal. So I think that is something that internally is being awarded and I think it's really important. As we sit here now and we look at this Arsenal season, mm-hmm. it's a kind of a scrap just to finish in the top half of the table. Mm-hmm. I think I might have said on air already the first time in 25 years, possibly with no European mm-hmm. football. Are we not seeing some of the great things that have happened this season because our thoughts and our views are dominated by league positions and and European football and things? And if there are great things that have happened, could you tell us what they are? Well, it's obviously hard to say that we've had a great season because of our position and now not even being able to be in the Europa League final. But what I see, I've seen this club from 10 years ago and I've seen what this club has gone through and... Arsene Wenger was there for 22 years and then Unai came and then Freddie was there and then when Mikel came it's like there was a very difficult atmosphere at the club you know there was a lot of uncertainty we, we didn't know in which way to to drive you know to to take the boat and something that he did really well is putting the pillars uh, to build a house and this is something that it's not easy to do. And this is something that, it's not something that you're going to do in a season, a season and a half. And I think the way that we finished last season, winning the FA Cup in the Community Shield and beating Man City in the semi-final and beating Liverpool in the league at that same time, that's something that the Arsenal from three, four years ago, probably wouldn't see them doing. And when I see ourselves, for example, this year against the top six, you know, beating Chelsea twice, we beat Man United, we drew against them, we beat Tottenham at home. It's only City and Liverpool that I feel like they're that level ahead of us. But if we are able to beat those teams, then why are we not there at the top? It's not because of the ability of the players or it's not because of the ability of the coach or whatever. It's what are we doing with the rest of the games? And these are different values. or These are different things that we need to work on. And it's not, are we good enough? Are we good enough? I'll tell you, yes, we're good enough. Because we should have been in the Europa League final. We weren't, but we should have been, personally. That's how I feel. And um, we, sh- we should be higher in that table because we are able to beat those teams. Why can't we not be higher than Chelsea or than Leicester when we've beat them in the league? You know, so there's so many other What's things. What's the answer to that? The answer to that is, in football, there's many great areas, you know. And as pundits, you guys, as you say, you wanna, you're trying to give the answers. 
to the public that are watching and try to give it like a, a reasoning in which it could be. But the truth is the answers could be a hundred, but the answers are for me is I feel being in there that we're doing the right thing, you know, that the club is in a difficult situation. We've been in the Europa League for a few years when we should have been in the Champions League. It's a massive club, you know, we need to be in the Champions League in order for that club to be healthy. So as players, we have responsibility, but there's so many things in within that are changing, some that they still need to change. But I feel the mentality right now of the squad and the coaching staff is the right one to be at the top. And I think Mikel is doing things great. And I think everyone in that dressing room is enjoying, which is the most important thing. We're learning a lot because he's a great coach and you know we're learning things that we we had never even seen in football before and um for us and uh, for me i think it's something that is really helped us move into the next direction into the next goal and hopefully all the other things that need to come into place for us to be up there are gonna happen soon but you know as an arsenal fan as well uh, i can say that from the inside that uh, even though it's been a difficult season I truly feel that we are a completely different team than where we were two years ago. And hopefully we will still progress in the in the direction that we are. And hopefully people on the outside can see that. Love it. Right, we've reached the moment for our quickfire round. Oh, okay. Um, so first of all, three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you must buy into. First one is honesty. I think uh, there is nothing without that. And it's something very needed in, in sports. Second one is the will to learn. For me, it's the most enjoyable thing. And I enjoy asking questions and I enjoy when people ask me questions and I enjoy when I see people that really try to get better. And I have to say that this year, for example, in the dressing room, we have a few young players that are really exciting and not just for how good they are on that pitch, but how much they're willing to learn. And to me, that is you know, beautiful to see. And if there's one... A third one, I would say discipline. I think discipline is something that I've always been or thought I was someone really spontaneous. And it wasn't until I became really disciplined with my routines, which I really enjoyed being spontaneous. I don't know if that makes sense. You know, it's kind of like discipline gave me the freedom, which is a bit of like uh, very uh, different points, but it truly means what it is. And I think being disciplined and having certain rules, especially when it's a team sport, you know, having rules that everyone follows and there's a certain discipline so everyone can uh, row in the same direction. I think, yeah, it's very important. What is your biggest strength and your biggest weakness? I think my biggest weakness first is that I believe in the good of people. And sometimes that is not the way uh, people live their lives by you know and and it's been difficult for me to see that and I had to learn a lot through that and uh, my biggest strength is I feel like in in the line we were saying is that that I want to learn and that I want to understand people and that I want to be in service to those people and trying to help everyone as much as they can especially like when it comes to the to the dressing room you know uh, those young players coming up and being able to be of service of them just not by asking and answer, answering questions, but also being an example. And I feel um, that could be something that I'm good at. <laughs> what one book recommendation would you offer for our audience? In the subject that we were talking about, mental health, 
I read this really good book called I Don't Want to Talk About It by Terence Real, which is about uh, men's mental health. Um, and it was a lot of the things I talked about come from from that book. So it would be it'd be really interesting for people to to read about it. And, uh, you know, if they go to my Instagram in the in the highlights, I have a few books that I keep posting every now and then because I like reading books. So uh, there's a few there that they can check. But on the subject that we spoke today, I think that's a very good one. Good man. And your final message to people, really, which is your one golden rule for people to live a high performance life. I would say to be compassionate and to spread love. And that's the best way to live our lives in every single way. Brilliant. What a, what a lovely way to end. Um, amazing conversation I think the big the big thing for me is that you through all the things that you've done and all the things you've learned along the way you've basically found freedom and I think that is probably the most important thing that we can all find in this world freedom to absolutely be ourselves say what we truly believe and know that it's, it's the right thing so thank you for coming on and sharing with us thank you for having me thank you Damien Jake that was one of um, the most interesting and brilliant episodes of high performance i think we've recorded and a bit like when we spoke with johnny wilkinson i just want people to listen to that for what it is i don't want them to listen to it with preconceived ideas and a desire to find a, a tiny nuance to be critical of i want it to be like accept what he said and understand that that comes from just like he said at the end just spreading good spreading positivity yeah if there was one message that i'd encourage any listener to adopt that hector's just spoke about is just be curious just listen and explore and and be curious about some of those ideas and how they can apply. You know, I, I love the fact that he was able to articulate, say, going and taking pictures of nature and how that has allowed him to have a sense of perspective that makes him a better footballer. This doesn't take away anything that in relation to high performance. It only adds and enhances. And we struggle to get our heads away from the fact that unless you're totally all about football, you can't possibly care about football. Like when he spoke about kids, you know, not not winning or losing, defining you. Like he he is not being defined by football, doesn't want to be defined by football, but that doesn't mean he's less committed to football. If anything, it's almost like he's understood that it makes him a better footballer. Yeah, absolutely. There's a brilliant charity in the, the States called the Positive Coaching Alliance that have this aim, they call it double goal coaching, and it's aimed at parents of young sports people where they say, 99.9% of people will never play sport at a professional level. So the aim of youth sport is to teach children values like being a good teammate, learning, respecting authority. And then the second thing is, then you want to win secondary. So it's not that being like this, it's not, I can hear people going, oh, is this the philosophy where everybody's a winner? Well, no, that's not the point. It's about everyone can learn and then you can still aim to win as a as a secondary consequence, but it shouldn't be the be-all and end-all of any sport. And I also think, you know, people have to get their heads away from sitting here going, well, do I agree or do I disagree with what Hector had to say, right? That's also not the point, is it? You don't oh. need to agree or disagree. You can just listen to it and decide whether it informs you or doesn't inform you. Exactly, and it comes back to curiosity, just be open. You know, we've used this quote a few times on here, Jake, where we say, Opinion is the lowest form of knowledge. Empathy is the highest form. Opinion means that you just have to give a binary answer. Empathy says suspend your judgment and just listen. Just be open to it. And that's what I hope people approach this podcast with and take away from it. Just an empathy and a curiosity. Yeah. And I think both of us also, thanks to, 
to Hector for coming on and being so honest and, and really speaking his truth because he knows as a footballer that even the great things that he shared with us just now, someone somewhere will criticise him. Maybe some people somewhere will criticise him and it takes bravery to have the conversation in the first place. Yeah, definitely. It takes bravery to be an innovator, to do something different, to dare to step away and walk your own path. And that's exactly what he's just demonstrated. And I don't think we should take that courage lightly. It's the only place where development lies, right? Absolutely. I really just want to say uh, thanks a million to Hector and all of the team around him for agreeing to come on this podcast, for speaking in the way that he did. And I really hope that it's opened your eyes to what kind of a person he is. And I just want us to change the conversation around not just footballers, but anyone, anyone in society that dares to be just slightly different. We slap them down rather than lift them up. And um, for the sake of you, for me, for our kids, for the future, I just really want that to change. Um, Anyway, before I say goodbye, let me just remind you, we're bringing out a high performance book. Um, And, you know, so many people buy these books, these sort of what self-help books, they call them. Um, And Damien and I often refer to them as shelf help books because you read them and put them on your shelf and never think about them again. This is a book that we're working so hard on to make sure that it has really genuine, useful takeaways for everyday life. And the book is not out until December, but you can actually pre-order it right now. All you need to do is click the link in the description for this podcast or go to thehighperformancepodcast.com and you can find a link to it right there. But the first book from the High Performance Podcast is going to be good and you can order it right now. You can also follow us and subscribe to us on YouTube, which will be really cool as well. Uh, you can then watch the you can then watch the interviews as well as listen to them. But let me just once more say thank you to Whoop, who are sponsoring these Euro 2020 episodes of the High Performance Podcast. And Whoop is there to optimise the way that you recover, you train and you sleep. It has daily reporting straight to your mobile so you get what's happening with your body um, in real time. Uh, there's the strain coach so you know how hard you can work. You can discover how much sleep you actually need and then you can align it to your circadian rhythm using the sleep coach um, and it also makes sure that you recover in the right way as well and if you would like to you can get an exclusive deal courtesy of the high performance podcast just go to join.whoop.com forward slash hpp that's join.whoop.com forward slash HPP and you can then subscribe to Whoop you'll get the first month for free and if you cancel any time in the first 30 days you'll get your money back so um, there's no risk either and I wouldn't be sitting here talking about it if I didn't believe in it and I'm wearing it right now and I do believe in it and I think it's great so feel free to get involved so thanks to Whoop for being our partners for these Euro 2020 specials. Right, that's it. Thanks to Hannah and Will. Thanks to Finn Ryan at Rethink Audio for his hard work on this episode. But as always, thank you most of all to you. Without you enjoying these podcasts, um, we wouldn't have had the success that we've had and we wouldn't be doing what we're doing now. The best thing you can do for us, please, is just share it. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, ping it to a friend, put it in a WhatsApp group, put it on your social media, talk to someone about it. Um, But find some way, please, of passing on the High Performance Podcast to someone else who just might need it. Take care. See you soon. Thank you. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, 